2: My name is Kieran Deal. You might have heard me on the Hysteria podcast with Aaron Ryan, and this is my very first Crooked Conversation. I'm super excited that today I am talking to Oscar shortlisted filmmaker Kimberly Reed, who just made a feature film, a feature documentary film called Dark Money. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about issues like campaign finance reform and what you can do as an individual uh, to help. Well, thank you so much for joining, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, First of all, I just want to say the movie was fantastic. Thank you. Um, Yeah. Congratulations. You did an excellent job. Um, Great. Um, Why don't you start by just, just for anyone who hasn't seen the film yet, just give me a sense of like, if you just want to give your, your elevator pitch of what the film is.
0: Dark Money is about campaign finance. It's about money in politics. Um, It's uh, an issue that people really started focusing on after the passage of Citizens United in 2010, which uh, a lot of people remember it as the decision from the Supreme Court that said that money is speech and corporations are people. And if you follow that logic a little bit, you end up where corporations, who are people, can spend unlimited money in political campaigns because otherwise you would be constraining their speech. And uh, that seemed like a really bad idea to me, Um, but I didn't (laughs) quite know what to do about that as a documentary filmmaker. You know, there's lots of issues out there in the world, Um, but I couldn't really approach it as a film until I... Um, frankly, I I just saw what was going on in my home state of Montana, and I saw that it was becoming a really good, tight, little microcosm example of money and politics. And so, mm-hmm. I started following that story, and um, you know, some things broke our way, and it turned into this kind of spy novel of following all of these twists and turns of where the money is coming from. Uh, Ends up in a courtroom trial and just uh, at the end of the day, I think became um, a good microcosm to tell the story about how money works its way through a political system, Um, especially dark money, especially anonymous money. Right. And by dark
2: money, you do mean like anonymous money, money that can't be traced to a Koch brother or, you know, my mom's sister or whatever. Like you just don't know who is donating that money, which then becomes a bit insidious because if that person has an agenda, then do, you know, politicians vote along the lines of that agenda in order to continue getting those contributions in large amounts.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And the oil and gas petroleum industry has um is kind of you know, famous for jumping on that bandwagon right after Citizens United was passed, started uh exploiting um 501 C four groups is normally the vehicle that most uh most of these um uh you know magnates use. And, you know, if what you're doing uh is trying to preserve your profit motive by changing regulations, by changing laws, by changing public policy, uh, you can do so very effectively if the voter doesn't know who's behind all of that spending, who's behind all of the ads that you're seeing incessantly as you're watching local television or, or popping up on your Facebook feed.
2: Yeah, 100 percent, because it changes the way that you might vote, depending on if you think that something is from an organization called – I worked on something where they called these AstroTurf. You know, like there's like grassroots campaigns, and then there's like AstroTurf campaigns, which are like fake grass. So it's like if you think it's from the point of view of a teacher or you call your fake organization – you know, uh, teachers for better unions or teachers uh, teachers standing strong, but it's actually like an anti-union organization, then um, people can think that they're voting in line with teachers, but in reality, they're supporting the opposite agenda. Like, that's why it gets so confusing. Is that, does does that kind of summarize that well?
0: That's right. I mean, that it just forces the voter to wade through a bunch of intentional obfuscation so that the source of financial support isn't known. And as voters, we need to know who's paying for these campaigns, who's influencing our elected officials, so that we can... We can, you know, factor that into the way that we're voting. And, um, you know, th- uh, this. I'm not um, trying to appeal to only people on one side of the aisle, on the right or the left. I mean, this is like any, anybody who has a political opinion on any side of the aisle, regardless of what issue that you're talking about, um, we should be able to to assess who's trying to influence that policy. And once the voter knows that and can factor that in, then you can vote accordingly.
2: Right. And then at least, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, at least you, your opinion isn't being skewed or shifted. You're getting a version of the facts because one of the things I was talking about with the producer on the show is it's like whenever you make a documentary film or whenever you're telling any story, there's always a bias going into that narrative. Like we all have our biases that we're bringing into a narrative. Were there any particular biases that you felt like you were combating when you were making this particular film?
0: um you know i i think that in general what happens is you find folks on the left that are agitating advocating for more disclosure um that actually has has uh, just kind of recently changed in this last election cycle, and we're seeing um, equal amounts, if not more, of dark money being being spent on the right and the left, and, and this kind of great equalizing um, shift that just happened, um, according to a report that came out a couple of days ago. But regardless of which side of the political aisle you're on, I, I think that my my big bias was toward more disclosure toward more sunlight Mm. so that we can have precisely all of these things that we're talking about so that the voter can be informed. The voter can factor in who the financial pressures are on our elected officials. And by the way, we're not just talking about elected officials. We're talking about ballot initiatives, which you were probably referring to when you're talking about teacher campaigns. Um, And another really scary impact of all of this is when you start looking at judicial elections, and if judges are being elected, it's not in every state, but many states elect their judges, and if you can't factor in who the people are that are spending a lot of money to get these judges elected or appointed, um, that becomes really pernicious, because how is a judge going to recuse themselves? If that we as members of the public can't say, hey, you know, why are you ruling in favor of this cement manufacturing plant in your district when you got a bunch of money from the guy who runs the cement manufacturing plant? I just right. made that up. Um, right. So you know, that that's that 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 bias to get back to your question. Um, that I have for di- disclosure was um, it was actually a really interesting debate for me to get into as a documentary filmmaker. And I bet I, I mean, I know you're a filmmaker too, and can relate to this is like, um, we take advantage as filmmakers of the First Amendment of our, you know, freedom of speech, and we do it every day as a documentary filmmaker. So to uh, kind of embrace the argument that you hear on the other side, of uh, this disclosure debate that says that um, to, to force me to disclose where my funding is coming from is actually abridging my free speech or compelling speech. And to engage in that, that debate about um, what, what speech should be completely un, uninhibited um, versus situations uh, where we do... Uh, a bridge speech for example you know if we're in a theater i can't yell fire even though and purely it would be my free speech rights to say that but in the context of of this crowded theater i can't stand up and yell fire because it Yeah, hundred cr- percent you're yeah it creates a danger you're gonna, right you're gonna yeah. cause a stampede right right exactly right, so there's a public yeah. safety component yeah so in making this film And uh, trying as best as I know how to be a responsible documentary filmmaker and be fair to all sides of the argument and testing um, my own biases, especially when it comes to the First Amendment. um, It was, uh, you know, I I definitely ended up, after examining all of this in this film, which ultimately took six years to make, um, Mm. I really came down on the side that, you know, Disclosure is best, and even though that that was kind of my assumptions going in to the film, uh, I came out of it, uh, I think, really strengthening those and feeling like if there is, you know, if if we're going to constrain speech by saying that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater because it's going to create a danger, what is more important to us in our democracy, or Democratic Republic, however you want to frame it, what is more crucial than preserving the way that our elections happen and the way that we select our elected officials or our ballot measures or the judges who get elected or appointed? We're talking about you know the people that we are choosing to hand immense power over to. So what better place to keep tight reins on the sort of speech that happens And I ended up, you know, coming out of this project being a bigger advocate of disclosure than when I went in. That's awesome. And it's, it's interesting that when you talk about the law, because
2: there's so many parts of your movie that were nail biting, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like when you were discussing, like, uh, like, like watching a thriller or Aaron Brockovich, you're like, Oh, God, you know, (laughs) because you focused on such a, a microcosm with like the courts in Montana. And like, is this judge bought? Is this person on this federal election commission bought? Like, are they voting to create a stalemate? And the way that if you the way you cripple your democracy, By doing that. And I'm, I'm struck by this idea of almost when you're talking about the notion of free speech, how people take, take the letter, they take the letter of, of the document, like the constitution or the letter of it, as opposed to the spirit of it, you know, which I know is a big thing with the Federalist Society, the Federalist Society are the ones who have bankrolled a bunch of uh, Supreme Court judges. It's just a fascinating money, money really. I'm, I'm curious of your relationship like with the documentary specifically documentaries can be notoriously difficult to fund you made a, a movie about dark money how easy was it for you to get the money for this documentary and 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 what is your opinion on both sides of the aisle let's say somebody like the federalist society with With judges, right? Like they have a very conservative bias, and they are nurturing and bankrolling people like Kavanaugh or Alito to get onto the Supreme Court. Um, But by the same token, Emily's List is doing that for women, if they have a particular agenda. So it's happening on both sides. What is that? What is that negotiation? In your opinion, is that just taking the money out of politics? What is this intersection between um, between Between money and power and how we orient it on both sides, uh, just fix the world uh, with that very easy question in five minutes or less.
0: (laughs) And uh, and I'll do it backwards, too. How about that? And take your your second one first, and I'll uh, I'll remember the first one, second. Yeah. Um, You know, I I, I just keep going back to disclosure. I think that if we are truly going to have, and the, the term that everybody, you always hear, is outside group or a third party group, which means uh, any group that is not, you know, the candidate's group per se. So, you've got the candidate with their own money and they're raising their own money and they're spending their own money. And that's one thing over on this side to the right and over to the left. You've got all of the outside groups that just spring up supposedly independent of the candidates and they spend money however they see fit. And You know, if we are going to have these groups, these third-party groups, like Emily's List or like the Federalist Society, or uh, you mentioned Kavanaugh appointment, um, there's a Judicial Crisis Network, uh, which is a dark money group that opposed initially the appointment of Merrick Garland, then also jumped in to support Gorsuch. And then also jumped in to support Kavanaugh. So we're talking about two Supreme Court seats. Really, you can call them three, where uh, we don't know who's footing the bill for Mm. that. That's where these things kind of get really scary.
2: And especially in something like what you were describing with Citizens United, which you really cover well in your documentary, where it was like the Montana uh, the Montana state court was like, yo, we want to protect our rights to be able to um, have these campaign finance reform laws and have disclosure and like keep money out of politics. And then when it goes to the Supreme Court, they're like, oh no, actually you can't do that because freedom of speech. And that decision gets, you know, kind of hammered down very very quickly. But then you think, you think, okay, well, who's on that court and why do they have those biases? And then if it's if it leads back to this. A dark money group it feels like it feels like we're in like a, a bad red October movie or something <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah in our in our film we actually go through a situation that's the, kind of the three-legged stool of government falls apart because dark money invades each of those and that happened in Wisconsin that happened with dark money getting legislators in Wisconsin state legislators elected dark money playing, especially in the recall election of Governor Scott Walker. So, we've got the legislative branch and the executive branch. And then um, when the judges in the state Supreme Court started looking at the dark money spending that was going on in legislative and executive branches – it comes out that there was dark money spent to actually elect them and guess which way they found when it came to investigating these groups that got them elected. So, it, it you can see a state which has a really progressive history like Wisconsin um, really shift overnight once that anonymous money takes hold. And um, that's what I just find really pernicious about this problem. It only takes a handful of people to get their levers on power. And then when they can start operating anonymously in the dark, um, you know, democracy is thwarted. And that's democracy with a with a small d, right? I mean, and the American people understand this, and the American people get it. And um, if, if you look at, you know, surveys and polls that have been done ever since Citizens United passed in 2010, it's always 75-80% of the American public that just thinks that it's a terrible decision, it needs to be overturned, this is wrong. Um, but when it takes root, it's very hard to get rid of, and, and yeah. that's that's what we're seeing happening. Well, I'm here with my good friend, Aaron Ryan,
2: who is joining me for ads, which is good. Our first one is Robinhood, which you are perfect for. Robinhood is that investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. You used to be. I used to be a stock. Yeah, you used. I used
1: to, to be. <laughs> you used to. You used to be money. I used to be a money. You used to be a money. But then I became a person.
2: Yeah. But now you have the money, and you would probably recommend the Robinhood for doing the money because other <laughs> brokerages charge up to ten dollars for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge any commission
1: fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. That's great. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. I'm an expert. yeah. I'm, like, totally an expert, yeah. but you would be a newcomer. 100%. And it can fit both of us. And Robinhood is for both of us. For which both is of us. very
2: exciting, and we can view stock collections, such as the 100 most popular, and learn how to invest as a newcomer or an old comer. And uh, Robinhood is giving listeners of Crooked Conversations a free stock. Now, that's exciting. That is exciting. Free is my favorite price to pay for anything <laughs> um and they'll give you a stock like apple ford or sprint to help you build your portfolio so that might be a reason to sign blue up blue chips at, yeah, that's amazing blue chips at crooked.robinhood.com that sounds great let's do it let's do it safe. no one should feel unsafe at home fear has no place in a place like home ooh do you see
1: that like a little, little I don't know iteration? sometimes I like scary movies at home but I don't want to feel like somebody's going to come into my house and like take my TV while I'm watching the scary movies and that's been Simple Safe's
2: Mission from day one uh, you can see a commercial about it during the big game this Sunday uh, what
1: game? Are th- is there a sport happening? I don't know. <laughs> you know that I don't know. No, this is the Super Bowl Sunday. I'm not watching. Cause is it this Sunday? Yeah, the Patriots are oh, playing. Oh, that's exciting. Wait, oh, is Los Angeles playing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's exciting, too. We're from here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yay. That's a foot, foot game. <laughs> it's, it's a foot. It's a game of pig skin. Yeah. Pig ball. Skin. Pig
2: yeah. Skin, pig ball. It's, and, the, and it's the theatrical one where they have all the dancers and they have the halftime show and they got the singing. Yeah. I used to go to a very fancy uh, party, a Super Bowl <laughs> party. They had a nacho fountain, but that's that's over now. Well. I've been disinvited. Sim- simply safe. <laughs> it will blanket your whole home with protection. Uh, Around the clock professional monitoring that makes sure that police will be on their way where you need them. The security security. <laughs> sensors are tiny uh blending in with your home so you won't notice them oh great uh as there's three million SimpliSafe customers and they know it feels good to fear less so protect your home today you can get free shipping on any system ordered just visit SimpliSafe.com slash crooked convos that's SimpliSafe.com slash crooked convos to protect your home and family today SimpliSafe.com slash crooked convos how how would you get i just really curious just just to follow up on that really quickly and we'll get back to the question about in the documentary but uh-huh. how how would you get the money how do you get it out of politics? Because when you think about it, every single person who's elected benefited from that system or was able to game it. So disclosure, yes. But is there a way to get the money out of politics? I just ask you really easy questions.
0: Yeah. I think what you you do is build a system that was working for a long time that we let fall into disrepair. um, And that's public financing. Public financing, mm-hmm. because what it does, if you have a big group of, of public financing that matches uh, the donations from individuals, um, like I live in New York City, there's a pool of public financing that matches six to one, uh, any donations under 200 bucks, right? You keep the donations small that come from everyday folks. Um, what that does is, is it encourages candidates for office to talk to everyday folks, because all of a sudden, they're getting real money that they can um, use in their campaigns. And yes, it takes a lot of money to run for office. But wouldn't you rather have your candidates paying attention to everyday folks who are giving 200 bucks or less, as opposed to only going to fundraisers? With millionaires and billionaires and doing their bidding once they get into office, and then as you as you suggest, um, becoming completely unable to changing the system that got them elected. Um, but we that have that catch twenty two. Yeah, 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 that's the big catch twenty two, and um, what you're seeing, uh, you saw it in 2018. I think we're going to see more and more of it in 2020 is so you're seeing candidates who actually are finding it very politically viable to run on a, a, a platform of campaign finance reform. Um, mm-hmm. In Montana, we saw that work for John Tester. Uh, the Governor Steve Bullock was also very strong with campaign finance reform, and they talk a lot about it when they run for state office. And I think we're going to see more and more of that at the federal level. Um, so yeah, we're we are never gonna just drain money uh, out of politics, especially with Citizens United being the law of the land. But if you can institute systems of public financing that match small donations, it you know it encourages candidates to be talking to the right people. Another really important thing that that also does is. Basically rebalances power in a way so that you find a lot more women running for office and winning mm-hmm. a lot more people of color running for office and basically shaking up the old power structures where sorry a bunch of white dudes are giving money to a bunch of white dudes to stay in power
2: and the one thing that's really you know, kind of you use the word pernicious or insidious about that is you need you really in order to get the best ideas, you really it doesn't matter. I always say, like, it doesn't matter what the group is. If it was all Indian women running entertainment, there'd only be two guys on television. It'd be Chris Hemsworth and Barack Obama. And that's it. There's no Big Bang Theory. There's no Silicon Valley. Like, There's just nobody else. Because like, that is my bias. It might be the bias of like, all Indian women. But like, you really need diversity across the board. It, It can't be all white guys. It can't be all Indian women. It can't be all one kind of person. It has to reflect the society. That's how we'll get maybe a little bit more conflict, but also compromise and and decisions that are really reflective of the electorate. You know, um, Congress is really old. I mean, even even this year with all of these young women, it's like, what is the average age? It's about 58 years old or mm-hmm. something. You know, the yep. average amount of money like on the low end is eight hundred thousand dollars. That's the net worth of each Congress person. I mean, it's just like. How how do you how do you how do you parse out your grocery bill if you're making eight hundred thousand dollars a year? And yeah. like those are the people who are deciding about health care and pensions and all that shit right. for the rest of us, you know?
0: Or or shutting down the government and then saying, Well, you know, why don't you just go out and get a loan? I mean I don't <laughs> <other stuff. laughs> Yeah, if, if people who just don't get it and that's not what we want from our elected officials, especially at the federal level where they have even, you know, inordinate power one of the things i loved in terms of
2: the way you opened the film was with these geese you started with these geese and it's like who doesn't love birds uh number one but like it can you talk a little bit about because because uh, there's the part of you that's like campaign finance reform can sound really dry it can sound really boring um who cares why does this matter why is this important um but you open your film on this um kind of I guess, like, like this cesspool, like what happened environmentally in Montana, when, uh, when, you know, business interests were controlling politics. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, you know, um, it, it, it was a challenge uh, making this film about money and politics. And this, you were wondering about how we got the film financed. It was actually difficult to get it financed because it was hard to convince people that I could actually make a movie about money and politics, <laughs> especially sure. money and politics that is intentionally obfuscated by a bunch of people with a lot of power. Um, but the way for me to do that is to just keep, it, keep the story small. And focused. And Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways, Montana was a, um, it's going to sound like a mix of metaphors, but I'm really not. Montana was a canary in the coal mine. Um, It was one of the first places where we saw um, these dark money tactics really pioneered. It was the state where the same group of lawyers who were behind Citizens United went to after they passed Citizens United because they wanted to start attacking Montana's strong campaign finance laws because if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, Was their thinking. Um, but, yeah, so the way to do that for me as a storyteller is to find the emotional connections for people. And I think we kind of forget how um, politics is supposed to operate. And um, for me, uh, actually, the first two scenes are um, – the the first scene was birds uh, and we see them and we hear about these birds mysteriously dying uh, it turns out because they landed on a pit of toxic water that pit of toxic water also known as the Berkeley pit is the largest super fun site in America and it was Initially created, it goes back over centuries and people buying and swapping mines around, but it was originally created 100 years ago um, when that pit was known as the richest hill on earth. Um, I'm talking to you from New York right now, and I bet in this building there's copper that came from Butte, Montana, the richest hill on earth, but 100 years later, it's this enormous, super fun site that kills birds when they land in that body of water. Um, there's mm-hmm. something wrong with that. <laughs> something has gotten out of control. And um, by starting the the film with that, and we actually return to it later on because that, you know, the the, the story actually develops and it, it gets worse. Uh, so, we go back to these birds and... Um, but that's, that's the impact of money and politics that I think that everybody can understand. Um, you know, right. we Absolutely. tried to pull minerals out of this beautiful mountain, and now it's killing the things that it used to sustain. Everybody gets that. Um, and you get it especially in Montana, where it's so beautiful that something – that is a really toxic superfund site that needs to be cleaned up now, it turns out in perpetuity forever and ever and ever. As long as there's an earth is need to be com- continuously treated, um, we really get the impact of, you know, bad decisions that are that are made. Um, And that specifically happened because the copper
2: company, Anaconda Copper Company, they had bought a bunch of the seats in the government. So like their environmental impact went unregulated, which is why you now have this very kind of toxic body of water today. It's like there was a massive environmental damage because you didn't have people in the you know, on on government saying, hey, we, it's okay if you mine here, but we want it to be clean. Like, so those things went unregulated and that's the potential impact.
0: That's right. It was all started because of the, you know, I, I went to school growing up and learning about the Copper Kings and the battles between these Copper Kings in Butte and um, how they um, n- not only uh bought up all the mines uh, but they bought up all the newspapers to control the coverage of the mines and then they mm-hmm. bought up literally un- and talking about you know people throwing bags of cash over the transoms of hotel windows <laughs> at night and handing out uh, envelopes full of money on the floor of the legislature to literally buy votes um, the reason we have a 17th amendment uh, to the US Constitution is because of the corruption that happened in Montana where uh, William A. Clark really, he was one of the richest men in the world at the time, and he really wanted to be a senator, and he bribed senators, like the legislators at at the state level to send him to Washington, D.C., and and the whole situation was so corrupt that uh, once he got to D.C., the senators refused to seat him, and uh, that's where the, the direct election of senators by the people in the state came. It's because the legislators were too corrupt to even elect a senator to send them to Washington, D.C. Um, so, yeah, so, that's the reason there's the 17th Amendment. Um, but, yeah, uh, so that's one thing you see is these birds and the impact of these these birds dying when they land on a pit of toxic water. Um, but the next scene you see is this, um, this kind of crusty farmer that's staring at his farm equipment and swearing at it and it turns out that you know that's a u.s senator from montana and he talks about just the impact senator john tester and he talks about what what i think is a really hopeful message and is important not to forget with all of this is that we're supposed to be ruling ourselves here i mean that's how our whole democracy was designed to, to have government that's really in touch with the with the people, people of the community, yeah, yeah, that who senator s- who's t- yeah
2: doing the farming or the teacher who's going to the senate, uh, that was really dope, you yeah. know, yeah, um, citizen citizen governments, like just yeah, the the number of people in Montana who were like serving on the you know, the legislature, but then they were like doing other shit the way that like George Washington was like farming, and then he was going, you know, and then mm, just going to the Senate, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, that's how he talked. That was specifically how George Washington talked.
0: Politicians were not, this. our system was not designed to create professional politicians who do nothing but run all the time and campaign all the time. and, And, you know, as soon as they get elected, especially in the House, you start raising money to get reelected as this the right. first thing you do. They actually walk slowly,
2: Kimberly. They're very old. <laughs> um, not so much running. <laughs> okay, so Frame Bridge actually gave Crooked our uh, Christmas presents. They did this, this year. So I actually got, I finally got a Frame Bridge framed. Um, picture and it
1: is very, very lovely. It's really nice. Yeah, it's lovely. I just had somebody come over to my house uh, from TaskRabbit and hang up my frame bridge framed picture that Crooked gave that me. That is the bougiest <laughs> shit you've ever seen. I know. Well, I I don't want to hammer into plaster. I don't know what I'm doing. So um, uh, he came over and I was like, yeah, here are my pictures to hang up. And here's this one that's like, Dems retake the house, yeah. like the Washington Post. And I was like, I felt awkward because I introduced politics into a very non-political exchange. 100%. But then he wanted to talk about politics. So Copy it was that. cool. And it's, it's all because
2: of Framebridge. Yeah. Thank you, Framebridge. Just bridging gaps between rabbits and and... Political parties. It's really good (laughs) stuff. Um, Amazing new service. And so just so that you know how it works, uh, you go to framebridge.com and you upload your photo or they will send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. You can preview the uh, item online in any frame style, get the free recommendations, uh, and then they'll custom frame the item. uh, And listeners will get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when they use the code Convo's again. Let's just get to the discounts. I think actually all my ads after this are just going to be like, let's just get to the discounts. <laughs> yeah, fifteen percent off your first order from Framebridge.com, and they are they they do a nice job. Um, so you can get started with a few taps on your phone.
1: Yeah, I mean I I actually am going to use them for some pictures that i took when i was on vacation Mm -hmm. because i was just in south america and i took a lot of really cool pictures and i'm like i don't want these to just live on my phone yeah i saw some of those on instagram they were very impressive yeah you can like kind of you can take a picture that's on your phone and upload it and they'll send a framed version of it which is cool for 15 percent off for 15 percent off uh
2: convos framebridge.com
1: there are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home to move closer to family live within a smaller budget or just wanting a change of scenery
2: Um, and so back to the doc, uh, dark. So dark money. Uh, it took you six years to make the film, and you said it was difficult to to finance. So how did you how did you do it?
0: You know, a lot of it was. Um, I, I I was fortunate because I was able to film a lot of it myself. Um, mm-hmm. So and I'm from there, and I had resources, and I had a car to borrow and put, I think, 20,000 miles on. And I had a place to crash and at my mom's house who still lives there. And I was able to um, just collect enough footage and follow the story for long enough that we could really push it, um, you know, really far into completion and show people what we had and, and, and to be able to demonstrate that. But that wasn't really until about you know four and a half five years into the the life cycle of the project but luckily once once that happened and we were able to display that um you know the 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 support came came tumbling in and that's what let us um let us really finish editing the film which is the the expensive part
2: 100%. I mean I I find that really fascinating because even in your movie it's you have a journalist who is an in-depth You know, investigative journalist who's doing long form work on on corruption in politics and is excellent at his job all over the state of Montana and the newspaper shuts down and he's homeless and he goes in his truck and he's thinking of, you know, moving to like just doing a different job. But then he gets in his truck and decides that I'm just going to like you know, I'm going to wing it and hopefully I'm going to be able to make this work and I'm going to do what I love. I I find that really fascinating because it's like, if we, like your story, this story of dark money doesn't get told unless you are willing to put in the elbow grease and the sweat and you had those resources of the four to five years before the money came tumbling in. What is the role of of money in even what we get to see um, and how it's curated? And 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 passion, like the way that passion can kind of be exploited a little bit, you know, this guy is just like a journalist who like wants to, you know, do long form journalism. So now he's homeless and living out of his car. And if you're not like, why, why aren't, why isn't there more infrastructural support for those very, 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 very important and prescient and award winning kind of, of stories, you know, once you're able to get them out there.
0: I I wish, really wish, I knew the answer to that. And uh, I think that that's that that that's a really really important question that we need to we need to figure out. Not only with documentary filmmaking, uh, but also with this very very important storyline in our film, which is just about the role of of journalism, especially investigative journalism. And um, yeah, it it's at, at at first, I, I thought um, the name of the investigative reporter is John Adams. Um, seriously, <laughs> like I didn't make that up. Um, and at first, I thought he was just going to be this sort of narrative vehicle, this like lens um, through which we would see this mystery of money and politics unfold. Um, but yeah, as you say, he lost his job. And when that happened... Um, it was it, it was tragic. We had gotten to know each other very well by then. Um, but it was also, you know, as a filmmaker, I, I was, realized that it was a very good opportunity to just really show not only what's going on with journalism, small, small newspapers around the country and how they're being, you know, the consolidation that's happening. They're being uh, basically milked for um, ads by Large hedge funds that are just gobbling them up, gobbling them up one after the other. Um, that's not only what is happening with with newspapers around the country, but also what happens when you rip away the one thing that's really keeping an eye on money and politics—the mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. factor: these investigative reporters, these watchdog reporters—that are. Going to all of those city council meetings that are following what's happening at the school board that are looking at the the, the kind of nutty bills that have a tendency to get passed in the state legislative level and are the one who's calling it out and saying that, hey, this person, this judge who just got elected, you, you know. Um, is getting a bunch of money from the cement manufacturer and they just ruled on that I mean this is not the the sexiest stuff but it's absolutely crucial reporting that needs to happen in communities around the country and when you get rid of these watchdog journalists um we're not just talking about their job we're talking about the you know all all of these mysteries that they would be solving for us in the future
2: hundred percent and then it's just it makes you think like i'm There's, for instance, in in filmmaking, there's like the Oakland renaissance. Right now you're hearing about like all these independent filmmakers coming out of Oakland and there's all these, you know, Sorry to Bother You and all these wonderful films coming out of Oakland. But I always laugh at that because I'm like, San Francisco and Oakland have... They they have a public infrastructure where they are they're they have a ton of grants and they are bankrolling and nurturing those filmmakers out of that area. Mm-hmm. The reason you're getting those stories out of that area is because those people are supported. Like they're still people; they have to eat and pay rent too. Do you know what I mean? So yep. it's like, how do we prioritize that as a country? Um, with our long-form journalists, because it it affects the kinds of stories that get told, you know, um, and how we consume content, and then how we think as a result, um, because we're all products of our environment. Absolutely. I will get off my soapbox. Absol- now. <laughs> no, it's,
0: I mean it's a, it's it, it's a it's a huge issue, and in a lot of there were a lot of times where, um, I, you know, John Adams and I were ju- were just really doing the same thing. I mean, he was this. He was this investigative reporter who was following this story of dark money in Montana. And he was he was churning out that, you know, he was feeding the Daily Beast. He was kicking out these stories every day. And I was, you know, flying at 30,000 feet, but essentially following the same story. And uh, we had the same challenges. I mean, when John lost his job and had to start a nonprofit and write all these grants and create a website and hire people and do it. He, he was at, 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 there was this point at, at first where he said, man, this is really hard. Yeah, I can't just sit and write all these stories. I have to do all this other stuff. I'm like, welcome to the world of being an independent media creator where you have to do a startup business with every, with every film, with every project that you take on um it, it it's a huge issue and there's a lot of ways that journalists um n- you know newspaper journalists or print journalists uh, work in concert with documentary filmmakers to tell a lot of these same stories from different perspectives um and in a lot of ways we are we are filling the, the gaps for each other um you know and in in the wake of the of and the wars that happened there i mean documentary filmmakers stepped in in a big way to really tell the truth about what was going on in iraq what was going on in afghanistan in a way that we weren't getting from our national media and um that's absolutely crucial storytelling that needs to happen and um yeah i i i wish i had the answer about how to fund that more effectively Um, But it's a a huge problem because, you know, we shouldn't have to work for five or six years with no pay on a project, just gambling um, in hopes that it's going to turn into something that will, you know, will make itself worthwhile at at the end of the day. I mean, the biggest thing
2: to me about that is it cripples your storyteller, right? It cripples Mm -hmm. your excellent storytellers because, you know, at the end of the day. A, you might have been able to do it in three years and then go on to the next one. But if you didn't have to do all of that, that business, the business surrounding the creative, and if we had better kind of infrastructures in place to support that, that that wasn't necessarily needing to come from a Netflix or a massive company with, you know, kind of its own interests, it's like, well who gets to decide what's important? Do you know what I mean? Is really the question who gets to decide what stories are important. I think there's a very, very big gap between what people care about, like something like I think campaign finance reform is a perfect example. But it takes it takes someone like you to kind of go out and be like, fuck it, I'm going to do it regardless, you know. Um, But I'm, I'm really struck by this idea. I feel like one of the myths of America is like if something is is worthy of time if you work hard like it'll work out like do you know what I mean like money will follow like worthy endeavors Mm -hmm. and it's it's kind of separating that myth you know and understanding that some of our you know some of our most important institutions whether that's documentary filmmakers whether that's long-form journalists um, and the way that we run politics has a massive tie to the money that's involved in um in those endeavors and the money steers uh the stories um and the policies that we um are all going to be privy to mm-hmm. um anyway so that's um i have one last question for you you're wonderful um, i wish you were here in the studio I to do eat too, couscous yeah. with us
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: that'd be fun. there's there's so much couscous here it's very yellow <laughs> um is that your last film, Prodigal Son, um, was obviously a massive hit and a very, very personal story. Um, I'm an Indian woman. I'm a filmmaker. And sometimes I feel like, you know, you're a female filmmaker or you're an Indian filmmaker or you're, you know, like there's all these qualifiers and identifiers on on your identity as a filmmaker, as opposed to just being a filmmaker, mm-hmm. um, *Prodigal Son* dealt with your very, very personal story of your family and your transition, but um, but *Dark Money* is really a story about you as an American filmmaker. Can you can you tell me just on a personal level the difference between those two projects and um, and how personal identity played into into them?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's probably easiest to start with what's similar uh, between the two of them and then and then go from there and the, the similarity between the two projects for me is one of I, I think me feeling this really strong sense of injustice in the world mm. and wanting to do something about it and um, so yeah with I mean with with prodigal sons I was um I, I you know I hadn't so I'm trans and I hadn't seen any portrayals of trans people on the screen that I felt like I could relate to. Um, to be honest, when I first started making that film, I wasn't planning on being in it. Um, mm. It was only after the fact where I realized that hey, um, this is you know why are why are you involved in this i i kept trying to make the film about my brother um the the film is largely about my relationship with my brother um he was adopted i wasn't uh he finds out that he's related to kind of enormously famous uh Grandparents and yeah, it's insane. You, you the twists were like the, just like worse, the crazier than fiction. Kind yeah, of yeah, you couldn't get away with that. Kind of like naming somebody John Adams. You just can't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry,
2: that's not believable. Can you just can you ground your story <laughs> in reality? It's just not believable enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I kept trying to make it about my brother, but it 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 was really just about you know our relationship between the two of us and. He had he discovers he has this new identity, and I had this new identity, and we had never really connect. We had a very troubled relationship. Um, so the film, in many ways, is about us trying to reconnect as adults with these two new relationships and give it another shot. And um, you know, it's it it gets complicated. Um, so, but I think that what what really drove me with that uh, film was this the sense that I, I I just wasn't seeing anybody like me on screen or mm-hmm. if I was, it was probably coming from a bunch of filmmakers who were not trans, who were who were cis filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And you know, I it just you you end up with a very different film. You know, and I'm sure that as a Indian woman who makes films um I, that you know exactly what i'm talking about um you know you can't sure. make yeah. it about us without us so to speak um and so that that sense of injustice for just feeling like trans people weren't represented um is something that really drove that project um mm. I'm, and representation specifically
2: you're yeah. looking to for representation yeah, absolutely. Um, and to be a, a voice and an advocate in Montana specifically, which like, it's so funny that it drove you to the home state, yeah. Um, which, which dark money does too. And yeah. in a way probably hits a notion of representation as well. If I'm,
0: yeah. you know,
2: not putting words into your mouth, hopefully.
0: Uh, absolutely. And that, that's what was going on with dark money too, is um, I, I think that, um, when you start looking at political power and who gets it and how they get it and how that really defies the design of our democracy, um, it and and how just a couple people with inordinate power um, can just run schemes on the rest of us and pull mm-hmm. you know our, our democracy uh, out of out of the hands of the majority of people. Um, I just I just find that really galling and I wanted to do something about that and I'm, I'm clearly like not the only one feeling this way there's a vast majority of Americans who who feel the same way I do um mm. but yeah that was um that was that that was what really kind of uh, I don't know it was kind of a fundamental just core touchstone that I kept going back to. Um, during the six years that it took when uh, it didn't look like you know things things were going to come together I I think that's what really drove me um, that same sense of injustice Mm -hmm.
2: yeah Yeah. and um, that driver that's yeah so so
0: when you go to what's different I mean it's like um yeah I mean uh, the prodigal sense was so personal and it was so about our family and the the um the the challenge with that was to kind of pull viewers into this intimate space with me and my family, and to just kind of really get to know us. And the challenge with with dark money was that it's such a huge sprawling topic. Topic, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, yeah, and it it there's. You got to know the rules of the road. I mean, there's a lot of exposition that needs to happen. Like, you need to know what an independent e- expenditure is, right? So, right, I, right. I, like, All that sexy stuff. The yeah. independent expenditure. Yeah. Like the
2: Beyonce, It's like the Beyonce of campaign finance reform. <laughs> so fun. <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. Um, but luckily, I worked with a great editor, his name is Jay Starenberg, and um, he. Uh, we were able to find ways to get the exposition out while still keeping the story moving forward. And, um, you know, we, we got lucky because what happened in Montana was a story where, um, well, let me take a little bit of a step back. I think mostly with money and politics, everybody knows that there's all of these dots out there and they just, they're almost on the verge of connecting them and saying, to keep going back to this example that I made up at the beginning, to find ways to say, I know that that guy who runs the cement plant over on the edge of town, I know that he's figuring out a way to give a lot of money to the guy who runs the city council. I just know it. But they can't connect the dots. Prove it. But they mm-hmm. sort of have this sense that that's what, That's where politics comes from, that they're all a bunch of crooks, that if only I could, you know. I think a lot of times that's the way people think about politics. And what happened with our story in Montana is we were able to connect all of those dots. I mean, we end up with boxes of documents that are evidence in court cases that show up in meth houses in Denver, that all of a sudden fall into the laps of investigators.
2: Yeah, in that tiny little house, it's like this, like one cottage with like four people, like running it.
0: Yes. <laughs> it's just like yeah. so. It's great. It's just great. Yeah, these like people who you know just government employees who are just doing heroic things. These kind of small day to day heroic things that I think is wonderful to celebrate. Um, and we had whistleblowers that that pop up and really like you know nail the bad guy and we had um what 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 usually is the hardest thing to find when it comes to these uh questions about dark money and how it functions we had somebody stand up and say yeah that was me i was working with these folks this is you know usually the antagonist so to speak um just kind of hides and never stands up and raises her hand and says yeah that was me but that that's what we had in this situation so we had a drama that really got fleshed out in a lot of ways and we could really see all of the you know all of the operators we could we could see all of the evidence we could really put our finger on how this whole dark money scheme was being run and who was behind it all so you know to be able to to put all of that together was a was it was a unique opportunity, and doing so in this micro, microcosm of Montana um, just kind of hints at the much larger schemes that are going on in every every state across the nation, and certainly at the federal level.
2: And the one thing that your movie does show really well that is kind of maybe a hopeful note to end on regarding regarding this topic that can feel so sprawling is that. It is a lot. Of, there are a lot of ordinary people who are doing a lot of small heroic things that add up to something really massively extraordinary. And that power is uh, something to hold on to and remember moving forward for everyone listening and I mean you were one of those people too
0: thank you for fucking making this movie uh thank you thank you for thank you for saying that and I it, you know it was really a it was a treat it was an honor it was really fun to celebrate <laughs> these people who are doing really amazing stuff that they yeah. never th- expected any sort of acknowledgement certainly not a movie about them. Sure, sure. Um, but people like, I mean, Deborah Bonagowski was this, she didn't even get elected because she got, you know, ousted by a dark money group. But um, she just kind of sensed something was off and kept following this trail and not letting this go. And she turns that story over to this guy named Jonathan Model, who's the Commissioner of Political Practices in Montana, this like, state employee, he was just doing the right thing. And then we ended up with um, this guy named Gene Gerusi, who is this retired lawyer who came out of retirement to prosecute this case, essentially pro bono. Um, 100%. On behalf, all these good yeah. people, like yeah. all these
2: good people in the midst of something that's not so good yep. you know it's like a, the resilience of that is 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 incredibly inspiring and yeah. was a really wonderful thing to see in that film oh
0: good well, yeah yeah lots to celebrate there lots to celebrate there and and i think uh at, at the end of the day is something something good to close on i think it's it just goes to show that when when citizens get engaged in their democracy um you know There's no stopping them. There's no stopping Mm -hmm. them. Even if you give a a lot of power to some billionaires with secret money, um, they can't even be stopped. Right. There's uh, incredible strength in numbers at the end of the day.
2: Absolutely. Um, Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us. This was really wonderful. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks so much. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kimberly Reed. If you haven't had a chance and you want to check out Dark Money, you can do so on pbs.org or darkmoneyfilm.com. Thanks for joining us.